I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Uh, two segments this week, three guests, really uh, interesting and insightful people on it. We start with Haley Rosen, the founder and CEO of Just Women's Sports. If you are not familiar with Just Women's Sports, it's a women's sports-focused media platform that features news and analysis of women's sports, interviews, podcasts, videos, has a women's-only scoreboard, which is the only website I know of that does that. Just Women's Sports in the news this week, they raised $6 million in a funding round. And so a really big, uh, a big week for Haley Rosen and for her company included in that uh, funding round, women's tennis pioneer, Billie Jean King and Washington Spirit owner, Michelle Kang, the uh, her startup now, just women's sports valued at thirty six million dollars. So, so we had a really interesting conversation on um, what just women's sports is trying to do. Why Haley thinks that this is the moment for a a brand like that to be successful, where others in the past had not. How teams and individual athletes have reacted to the site. We talked about some of the. Uh, um, under sort of funded markets uh, when it comes to women's sports, women's softball and volleyball. I shouldn't say women's softball, but softball and volleyball. Talk a little bit about advocacy versus journalism and how they just sort of look at their editorial product. And then we get into really what I thought was an interesting conversation on gambling on women's sports and how this is basically untapped terrain. Nobody is really doing anything big on that. And so Haley and I, um, and talked about that it was really, really fascinating. So Haley Rosen first up, and then we have a roundtable with myself, Chad Finn, Boston Globe media writer and sports business journal managing editor of digital Austin Carp. We go very, very deep into NBA viewership numbers, why the first two games have played out as they have and how um, on this one, it really sort of depends on your viewpoint. Uh, the NBA should either be disappointed or should at least be all right, okay, we've sort of, we've, we've, we've turned the boat around from the last two years. So we go really deep on that. Hopefully you'll find that insightful. And then get into a little bit of hockey viewership with TNT and ESPN and how they did in their first year. Talked a little French Open tennis and, and tennis as a viewership uh, play. And then finished up with uh, Live Golf, which is obviously a major, major story right now in the sports world and what networks may or may not be interested, the whole, this whole idea of sports watching and, and what does the public think of this. And, you know, this, the, the whole notion of, um, of would you be interested in watching this tour and, and how will you feel about it given, the, um, given it's funded by a place that has significant human rights violations, understanding that a lot of other leagues, whether it's the Olympics or the NBA, 
and been involved with countries that have uh, have committed similar things. So interesting discussion with um, with Chad and Austin, who are regulars. And it'll all be coming up with Haley Rosen on the Sports Media Podcast. One quick note, and you guys have been great at this. If you do like these kind of conversations, please head to where you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, etc. Leave us a five-star review and a nice note. This stuff really has significance when it comes to this podcast. Again, this podcast, as you know, is separate from The Athletics. So um, the people who I, uh, who I do this with, um, feedback really matters. So thank you for that. Thank you for the support. And without further ado, Haley Rosen, founder and CEO of Just Women Sports. All right, so as I said at the top, let's bring in Haley Rosen, the founder and CEO of Just Women Sports. As a uh, quick synopsis, Just Women Sports, Google that, and you'll see their site and, and everything that comes with that media company. It's a women's sports-focused media platform featuring news and analysis of women's sports, interviews, podcasts, videos, and other media content. Um, a number of months ago, I should have this in front of me, but I don't, but I wrote about that. Um, they did something that I had never seen before in all my years of covering sports media. They had a women's only scoreboard, which is really, really interesting and unique. No, no other website, I don't think in the world actually has that. And so they were doing live updates of women's pro sports and college sports that were existing in real time, the way places like the athletic or ESPN or SI.com do that for men's professional sports. So that was really interesting to me that they, they did something no one else had ever done, which is not easy to do in 2022. And with that, I bring in Haley Rosen from just women sports. Thanks for joining me today on the sports media podcast. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So fresh off your Ted talk from my research, uh, Tells me so. Congrats <laughs> on that. Um, all right. So you've told your origin story many times, and it's obviously a very, very impressive evolution. For anybody who wants to sort of dive a little bit deeper on that, um, they can Google that, and you can get a sense of how um, Haley started what she did. Started with an Instagram account. We'll get into a little bit of that, but I really wanted to focus more, at least at the start, on some current and some forward-thinking questions for your. Um, for your media brand, Haley. And so by way of like quick explanation, um, a long, long time ago, I worked for Sports Illustrated for Women. Um, in addition to working for SI, there were a group of us that sort of tried to launch that the second time. There was a launch even before I was part of it. And it ended up failing. It um, it was a print publication. Um, the web at that time was really kind of in its infancy and there wasn't any great distribution. The research, and this was a Time Inc., which was a big media company back in the day, said that there was a market for this and that we had a chance to be successful. But for many different reasons that would probably, no one cares about at the moment and would take a long time to talk about, it failed. After we folded, Condé Nast tried it with even more money. I don't know how much you know the history. This is, you know, you're much younger than me. And so they poured money into this. Uh, that was more of a combination of service-oriented stuff and women's sports. So they do like a profile of an athlete, but they'd also be like, uh, you know, 20 ways that you could become faster on the tennis court or something like that. That failed. Now we go to modern day and I really am impressed by what you're doing. And I think very clearly as an entrepreneur, you want to build this brand so that it lasts, that it, that it, that it goes beyond the capital that you've raised and that you build something that's sustaining. So let's start here. How do you do that? How do you do that when others not in exactly in a perfect position, a similar position, but others have tried with very deep pockets and have not been able to pull it off. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how do you think we build a sustainable women's sports brand? Yeah. This one in particular. Yeah. I mean, listen, like I think, I think, and I'm curious what you think as someone that worked on these brands, I think timing is really crucial right now. And I think we have this post title nine generation that grew up playing sports at an amateur to elite level and they're out there and they're showing up to games or they're following their favorite athletes on social or their favorite leagues, their favorite teams. And that is a new thing. That's a new demographic of sports fans. And there's not a media brand today that's servicing them. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to pull them together and build that ecosystem that, you know, a lot of ways I think we take for granted on the men's side. We take for granted the sort of cross promotion or just the distribution that legacy platforms give men's sports. And I think we have this opportunity now because of this new audience to do the same in women's sports. I agree with you. So sort of let's get into that as to maybe the thing, the reasons why. For one thing to me, and I think you've been great at this, social media exists where you can get your message out to exponentially more people than trying to get that message out through like old school marketing or like, you know, sign up for this subscription and you get it here. So have you found, as you're building this, how valuable, let's say, has social media um, been to, if nothing else, getting getting people aware of what you guys do. It's huge. I mean, I've said this before, but I think social has been the great equalizer in sports because I think, you know, legacy media, everything we built for sports is for men's sports. So then shoving women's sports on those platforms, I'm not surprised when it doesn't work or you don't see the engagement or the engagement is negative. I kind of think that makes sense, but in social, you know, people are signing up to, follow Megan Rapinoe, Alex Morgan, Serena Williams. They're, you know, like volunteering to be in that world and see what they're about and who they're about. And then social is also just very lightweight. You know, it's easy to follow an account on Instagram or Twitter. I'm already going there to get news or whatever. And so it's a really lightweight way to just start building that relationship with women's sports. And we always think about social, you know, as our ultimate marketing vehicle. And, you know, we're really, really bullish for example, on highlights. And the reason for that is because we really believe it's your Costco sample of women's sports and seeing adult play is going to do more for someone's interest than I think anything else we can do. You just got to see it. These women are amazing athletes. Give them that 30 second sample, what it's all about in this really lightweight forum that is social. And let's build off of that. You have said you're advocating for brands to align themselves with female athletes and support women focused media efforts. Um, one of the things, and again, it's going back a long way and I wasn't on the business side. I was a writer and an an editor, but it did seem like in terms of investment outside of some very big places, maybe like Nike's of the time, that kind of stuff, there really wasn't, they weren't able to get the kind of dollars that I think would have sustained that kind of, um, project. And again, keep in mind when I'm referring to what what I was part of, it's like early 2000s. It's a print product. It costs a lot of money. There's a lot of distribution issues. So for you, have you found, Haley, that when you go out to, I don't know how you'd call it, when you go out to market or when you go to try to talk to advertisers, what what are they saying to you in terms of, like it's one thing to support it. It's honestly another thing to support it with dollars and money and something yeah. that is sustaining. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. So 
this is something that's really dramatically changed pretty quickly. Six months ago, maybe a year ago, like when we were going out to brands with podcast concepts or video concepts, the feedback was consistently, you know, who's going to watch this? Is This isn't lifestyle. Like, why don't you push these women to talk about everything they're doing off the field or what they want to wear? And we were really, really, I mean, frankly, stubborn and saying, no, people are down with women's sports. Like you want to target, you know, millennial women, athletes, former athletes, active people, like this is your audience buy into this. And it feels like all of a sudden that's changed. And there's been sort of this flip with brands that they're saying, if I want to target, you know, really those demographics, they are following women's sports. So I want to get in front of them. And then I think the other side of what's happened is, We've had a lot of brands test with us to a smaller run, smaller dollar amount, and it's really, really worked. And then you're seeing a return on investment. You're seeing people get stoked on women's sports and on brands getting in on women's sports. And there's really this moment where I think brands are getting it. The audience is excited and sponsorships are, I think, like really propelling this space forward. One of the things that I deal with in my world is covering um, the big places and you get a sense of what is... um, What's resonating? And we'll keep it specific to women's sports. So one of the things that has been very clear over the last three to five years is how popular women's softball is. It's always been sort of an underrated gem. The numbers for the Women's College World Series are in the millions now in terms of viewership. Not not hundreds of thousands, but millions. Yeah, so it's, it's a great. real audience there, big audience you can monetize. WNBA's numbers over the last three three to four years continue to go up. That's through a pandemic, which is unbelievable. One of the few leagues in the world that's actually um, gone up. You can measure when it comes to the Olympics, many of the women's events outdrew the men's events. So very clearly, like, if nothing else, like there's there is viewership out there, and in certain places there's there's growth viewership out there. Do you, when you are whether it's like homepage metrics for you or podcast views or something else, are you you know you don't have the rights to this, but you would be a benefit of this. Are you seeing increases on your content vis-a-vis what ESPN is seeing on over-the-air content that they have viewership numbers for? Yeah. I mean, this is actually like when they say all ships rise, like, I think that's very real women's sports right now. And like we saw, for example, with the Olympics, like exactly what you said, a lot of the women's events outdrew the men. There's a ton of interest, a ton of excitement. Obviously we didn't have the rights to any of that content, but we also saw a huge lift at that time in terms of like our web content, our social content. So it does seem like, you know, when it, gets out there and more people are watching it, either the Olympics or a league or an athlete blows up, like it's beneficial right now to sort of all the entities in the space. And I think for us, like that, I think is just a huge opportunity to keep like stacking the winds of women's sports, you know? Yeah. The, um, I don't know if they're going to do it, but I've always sort of let the, uh, anybody who cares to have my opinion at the athletic know, I think women's softball, is like a place where like if you had a full-time beat writer that was assigned to that sport and really let the women's softball community know that you cared and you were in. I'm talking for I know there are sites and places that cover it. Yeah. But for like a large mainstream place, man, like those TV numbers don't lie. And I, yeah. I think something's out there. So it'll be and I know you guys, I look on your homepage and it's all over your homepage. I don't I don't know if you have a specific writer assigned to it, but I think if nothing else, like your site realizes like 
you know, in addition to the the WNBA, in addition, obviously, to um, the LPGA or whatever major women's sport is happening now. Like, you know, I looked at your site, not before I came on today, but I looked at last night, like you're in on women's softball, like at least for the NCAA tournament. Yeah, for sure. And I think one of the things, though, you know, college volleyball does really well, too. Yeah, exactly. And neither of those leagues have like a full-time professional league in the U.S. And I think that's really a bummer, especially when you see the talent and you see the numbers and you see the excitement. Like, where is that league? And so um, the other sport that I think is really worth mentioning as well is, you know, talked a lot about the WNBA, which is doing really, really well. And that year-over-year growth is awesome and exciting. NWCL is really, really picking up momentum right now. And women's college soccer and women's soccer, I mean, I think that's the most popular sport in terms of participation at the youth level. And we're seeing now the numbers on, you know, at the collegiate and professional level, they're big and they're real and the engagement in the fandom, like, oh my gosh. I I actually, this is a bit of a tangent, but I went to an Angel City game last night and it was a Tuesday night game, you know, in LA, the people commuting in and it was packed and it was crazy and fans were turning up and it was like, this is, this is real. Yeah. That's interesting. You say that because the, I could tell you from our site, the stories that have been done on the major club soccer powers, women's club soccer powers, like, uh, Lyon and uh, Manchester City. You know, there's for those who don't know women's soccer, there's there's essentially like a Champions League equivalent. There's great players who play overseas, including a lot of Americans, and those numbers have been pretty good. Like like people, it's very clear that um, that soccer beyond just the U.S. women's national team, which there's always interest in, like there it's growing. And I'm with you on that. Like again, I think that's another growth opportunity and people have to remember like you know the the nfl is in its whatever 90th years i'm yeah. probably wrong on my date you know what i mean <laughs> the, the nba started wherever 1940 something like these are all very very new leagues in their infancy and 100 you, you have no idea what the 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 interest will be 35 years from now different generation different demographics in the united states so i'm with you like you know it will take investment early and you may not make money early but I think if you just have a little bit of a, of a visionary kind of look at this thing, I, th- I think the numbers are going to be there for you. I, so I'm with you on this. I believe, I believe that. I totally, totally agree. And I think what's crazy is that all of this has been happening with very minimal investment, very minimal right. media coverage, and it's all just very nascent. So what if we invest? What if we build the infrastructure? And what if we just give it a, you know, give it a beat to develop? Oh, my gosh. All right, so this is that's a good segue to get into a little bit of the, the your backstory. I watched an interview you did with Adweek not too long ago. Actually, you mentioned you think social media is an equalizer. I agree with you on that. So you're in Silicon Valley. Uh, you graduate of Stanford. Another one of these incredibly annoying, very smart people from Stanford. <laughs> Seems the whole world has you guys. Um, you started. You soft launched in 2020 like sort of with an Instagram account yeah. saw that that, that Instagram account was obviously very focused on women's sports was obviously getting uh, more attention than you probably realized that turned into a newsletter and then a podcast may of 2021. You sort of do like a proper investment launch for you as the person who's, you know, trying to um, get money from people for lack of a better word, the, uh, the CEO of this. Um, how have you found the process to be? And the second part of that question is, is it a different climate for you in making in meeting these similar kind of people in June of 2022 
than it was for you in May of 2021 when you started. Oh my gosh, night and day. Like absolutely night and day. When I was first starting Just Women's Sports, the amount of people that asked me like, you should make this a nonprofit or a charity, or you need to pivot this to lifestyle to make it a real business, or you know, you're you're targeting young girls, right? And it's like, no, this is sports. We're gonna give sports content, and the product is women's sports. And people are like, basically, like you're crazy, kid. Was a lot of what I got, and <laughs> um, which felt crazy to me because I had obviously played soccer and I played professionally a bit in the U S and abroad. And I was seeing the momentum and excitement. I was seeing that we were selling out stadiums. Like I saw it firsthand and I was like, I feel like you're being crazy, you know? Um, so the initial conversations were, were tough and there was some really, really brutal feedback. And maybe part of that is also, you know, at the time I was younger, a young founder that didn't have a media background. So maybe all of that kind of bundled into some tough conversations, early days, the conversation has dramatically changed. And I think that's the same, similar to what I was saying about sponsorships. Like, you know, I used to, my whole pitch used to be like, this is why women's sports is viable. Like here are the metrics, here are the numbers, here's where we think it's going. My pitch has now changed to, this is how we're going to build the leading women's sports media brand. And I think that's really cool. And that's what I want to talk about. And that's what we think about. And I think it's like, once we can get to that layer of conversation, then you're in the game, you know? <laughs> Can you, you know, I, I again, they, they keep the writers and editors on one side of the room and uh, at The Athletic and the founders on the other. The founders are the people who went out, built this business, obviously sold it to the Times. Yeah. They were the Silicon Valley types. They were the ones who pitched, you know, doing the same thing you're doing, probably just on a little bit of a larger scale with the money side. So let me ask you that question because I, I don't know how those, uh, I'm not, I've never been in a room like that, mm -hmm. but like, how do you become that kind of brand and how much of it is, um, procuring enough money to get all this off the ground to where you want to do it versus, I guess, and I'll use my own layperson's terms, like showing a proof of concept at a certain time where you can make money and then maybe people want to invest in you as you've shown a profit. Because, you know, that's, I guess, with The Athletic was always the thing that like, it was a successful business, like in terms of like content, in terms of what they were putting out. Um but that was different than making money. Do you know what I mean? Until obviously they sold to the Times. So you're in this exact situation just on a smaller scale. So how does it how does it work for you on that? Yeah, I mean, I'd say we're probably at a similar point to where, you know, we're we're similar to where athletic at the earlier part of the athletics journey, if that makes sense. Um yeah. and I think that for us, like there's a lot of media brands and there's a lot of companies that probably come out of the gate with a concept and a, a great team and a, a really compelling business strategy that can secure more funding from the start. That was never us at Just Women's Sports. We always had to prove. And, you know, by the time we raised our first round of the capital, we had had, you know, a number one podcast in, in, in sports. We had worked with major brands. We were bringing in real revenue. We had, you know, already had some celebrity investors and partners. So we had to prove a lot to really just get in the room with some people that could, give us investment and fund the business and help us take it to the next level. I think also part of that is in Silicon Valley, you know, this is coming off sort of like the Buzzfeed era of, you know, people questioning the viability of media as a business and how big it could be and right. how are you going to build this sustainably? Um, so I feel like we have always had to prove um, and that's, that'll be, that's okay. Cause it pushes us to be really, really efficient and um, 
you know, really diligent in every decision we make and every hire we make and every content we invest in. Um, and I think it's pushed us to be a better organization. I think the name of the game for us right now in this moment is really, ultimately it's keep going, keep building the audience, keep making money, keep building the brand and, you know, start to push on partnerships with the people in the space. And for me, that means the leagues, the teams, the athletes start to work more close, closely with, you know, the actual product of women's sports. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that up because that's part of what I wanted to talk to you about here. How have you found the reception to be from the WNBAs, the NCAAs, um, you know, you mentioned uh, the Women's Professional Soccer League in the States. Like, are you, have they, did they credential you from the jump? Are you credentialed on this stuff? Uh, do do you find that you can get access to their product? With, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the athletes are the product in the same way, like a place like Minor or Sports Illustrated does. Have you have you passed whatever that I don't know, yeah, you know, yeah, that sort of special. initial initial bar yeah. that all these uh, infrastructure places want to see from a place like yours that you're legit. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is also another thing that's funny, you know, early days, it was like, we were so rogue, like, you know, it's like, yeah. people, who are yeah, you guys? Who right? are you guys? Like, yeah. who's this account that's like ripping our, our shit and you know, what is going <laughs> on here? Um, and we definitely, it definitely seem, seems like also we have, and I get that from their point of view, that's not met with any tone or anything like it that makes sense to me we had to but like you kind of have to do that to build up the following and the legitimacy and build the muscle and get the people now we have that and so it's very different conversations and i think what's exciting about women's sports and what i always push everyone i talk to you know from a league perspective is like you guys are a startup too you know 10 years as a league like we are in the early early days like we have to be willing to try and experiment and throw some spaghetti at the wall to see what works because if we are too restrictive and we you know kind of play by the rules too much it's going to be too slow we're going to just hold ourselves back like let's try and i think the coolest thing about women's sports right now is there's so much changing in the media landscape in the sports media landscape and we're seeing you know, younger audiences that are on digital that want, you know, shorter pieces of content that want the athlete and the team. Like we're, you know, all the shifts are well-documented. We can build for this new era of media with women's sports. We don't have to worry about transitioning, transitioning. We're not stuck on legacy platforms or in legacy deals. Like we have this like fresh start to do it right. Like let's be willing to write the rules and be like, does that make sense? And, you know, it made sense 10 years ago. Does it make sense a for this space and doesn't even make sense B anymore. And so that's like the most exciting thing to me in women's sports is like, I think there's a lot of innovation happening and some of it's small and some of it's really big that I think eventually will be applied to the men's side. You, um, in, in terms of some of your, uh, investors, they're, uh, they're pro athletes. Elena Del Don is a perfect example of, a. You know, a star, a WNBA player who's invested. What have you found at this point, Haley, in terms of the um, the well-known figures, well-known female figures in American sports? Um, how have you found the site has interacted with them? Are they interested at all in any kind of partnerships, even if that's like, hey, you know, we're I want to do a podcast and we want to be associated with your media brand because it's a little different than the men and this is just would be my two cents like i think in order for you to grow you probably would need those kind of partnerships more than 
I'm just making this up. Then ESPN has to be partnering with uh, Steph Curry on a project. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, well, that's 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 a great thing for an ESPN to to nab. There, it's there's still a billion dollar totally. company. Like, it's not going to change. It's more like anything. branding for them, and for us, it's more audience. Exactly. Growth. Great. Yeah. Point. Right. So, how do you see that for you guys? Yeah. No, I think it's really key, and I think part of that is because. Two, two sides of it. One is like from a business perspective, because there hasn't been this media ecosystem, the audience is currently following the athletes. You know, Megan Rapino has what? 2 million followers, Alex Warren, 13 million followers, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So they are out there and they're interested and they're showing their interest by following those athletes. So can we use those athletes to sort of start building that ecosystem? Because even though individually they have, you know, a medium amount to a large amount of following, you know, it's none of it is still really as big as the biggest numbers on the men's side. So it's working with the athletes to really aggregate the audience. I think that has been really key to our strategy, which is, I mean, essentially it's just influencer marketing in a lot of ways, but I think it's a bit more involved than that. The other side of it though, too, is like on a personal level. And I think as a company ethos perspective, like the athletes are the product, they get the space, they know the space, they really have a pulse on like, you know, who should win defender of the year, who actually is a dangerous attacker, like all of that type of information. And so like, if you have the respect of the athletes, I think that's huge. And like the athletes are not always going to like what we say. And on some level that kind of hurts my heart because I was an athlete. I've been on the other side of some of these articles. I know that feeling, but I've had to accept that it is part of it. They're not always going to like what we say, but as long as they respect us and what we're doing and how we're approaching it, like that is hugely important to me. One of the things I wanted to ask you about for your content and, and as you think about it heading forward, and you have one of my former colleagues, uh, Hannah mm -hmm. Withiam there, who's, uh, who's awesome. She was, uh, she was phenomenal work with for us. Um, you, you've done a really, I think, great job of making the site broad. Like you cover a lot of stuff. You have things on that site that really are barely covered elsewhere. So that's like props to you. What what it seems like to me, and I'm curious if this you feel like will be the next evolution, um, there's not a lot of opinionists yet where somebody really sort of takes a, and I know you've mentioned this, like sports is about um, opinion or debate, and you want that sort of part of your brand. So I wonder if that's part of the next evolution. You're starting to do a little bit longer features, so I would imagine... Um, That'll be part of the, the content um, strategy, too. And then I just wonder, is the next thing for you where this sort of doesn't exist, and I feel like you would be perfect for it, like, do you envision maybe somehow figuring out a way to have a, a, like a podcast network where, like, you have 20 podcasts that are specific to all these different elements of women's sports the way, like, The Ringer or uh, ESPN or you know, name your bar stool, name it, whatever your company is where, where it's not just one flagship podcast, but it's like this whole envelope of places that sort of feed into the site. So I, that's my little rambling speech, but I wonder where you see it in terms of the next iteration of, of like the content that you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good question. Um, I think as far as the site goes, like just my really First off, all the credit in the world to Hannah. She's really building the site and like she has done an amazing, amazing job. I think also, you know, the candid answer here is we still have very limited resources. So we're yeah, small, it's a staff. small staff and it's a smaller writing staff. And so what 
the goal of the site right now is to really be the homepage of women's sports and like give you all the information. So if you want to be a casual fan of the NWSL, WNBA, LPGA, um, WTA, you know, et cetera, et cetera, college sports, you can do that through our site. We're going to, you know, give you the quick hits, the scores, you know, the top level of what you need. And that is serving like a, a really big need. And the numbers on the site have been phenomenal. And the month over month growth has been phenomenal. So it's like just low hanging fruit, honestly, of just providing like really the basic information. And so until we have a larger staff, that's really going to be the ambition of the site. However, that's where we want to go for sure. And I think we're, we're pushing on that on our, in our audio content a bit, in our video content a bit, because I do feel that like, I think sometimes in women's sports, you know, there's a, there's negativity of people hating on it. And then so the, the natural response is then to, you know, really be positive with it. But I think we make it too vanilla sometimes. Like sports are fun because it's like you push and you disagree. And I think she's better than her. And you think the other, you know what I mean? Like that's sports, right? And there's heart and soul and drama and fun and just energy and life to it. And so like, that's what we want in our content. And I think sometimes that means opinion pieces. Sometimes that means silly video content. Sometimes that means really intense audio content, like it can take various forms. Um, I think zooming out a bit though, like I really, really think it's important that we make the product of women's sports more accessible. I think it is way too hard to watch the content. Um, and, and there's a lot of progress being made on that side and new rights deals and everything, but it's just like, how can we grow this space if you can't watch it, if you can't see it? Um, and that is something we are really, really thinking about. And I think so much of our content is about the storytelling and the world building and, you know, who are these women and what's at stake and what are the rivalries? And then how do we show the goods? How do you show the product? And that's really what we are thinking about and where we want to push. Yeah. But as you know, like the realities of that is that's costly, right? Is like that's rights acquisition, as you know, gets into like crazy dollar figures versus, um, you know, a writing staff, which again, costs money, but it's not going to cost money is, you know, trying to, I, I'm making this up, you know, trying to procure uh, a WTA tournament that you can place on your media. Yeah, no. And I think we're going to have to be smart and we'll ha we have to be thoughtful, but you know, our goal is to push women's sports into the mainstream and we have to figure out how to solve those two buckets. So I think it's, big numbers. It's a big ambition, but we, I think we can't be afraid to try and push. I agree. And again, the proof is in the pudding using like sort of the ESPN analogy when they have put, um, sports on ABC versus ESPN or ESPN two, you're seeing this with women's softball. Uh, you know, one of these days, Jesus Christ, I got to finally put the women's final four on, uh, uh, the women's title game, basketball game on ABC. I've only been writing that column now for 12 <laughs> years. It feels like. So t two more things here. Um, I want to ask you about sort of advocacy and maybe activism is a little too strong a word versus journalism or neutrality. What's very clear uh, about your site is that um, you guys have a POV. You're supporting women's sports. There are things within women's sports that you, um, you know, your your site aligns with and believes it. I believe you can you can buy uh, Pride merchandise on your site. So how do you? I don't want to say navigate, but like you know, what's interesting is that like women's sports is a little bit different in that there is an advocacy aspect of this because it's not the NFL. 
and you don't have a base of 30 million people. At the same time, I get it. If you're going to do editorial stuff, you can't be PR either. So I just wonder, have you thought about these? It's a very tricky line to navigate. And by the way, we tried to do the same thing in SI for women. I don't want to pretend like we were doing Watergate every week. We were doing very, we were doing things even in 2000s that were like advocacy based. So how do you, how do you sort of, you know, I'm seeing like find that line of you want to be advocates. You want to be a place where like, this is, these are things you're going to push and, and POVs you believe in at the same time. You also want people who just sort of want, um, you know, journalism or, or like sort of opinion where you're not connected to the team to be free form and, you know, you're not working for Angel City FC, so to speak. I could have asked that question in a better way, but I think you know what I'm getting at. No, no, I totally get what you're thinking, what you're getting at. And it's something we've thought about a lot. And I think it's, I think just the honest answer for me is that I don't think, this is going to sound really annoying. I don't think there's anything as neutrality in journalism or media or anything like that. So I think as a company, what we've tried to do is just be honest about that. And so we are building a brand as just women's sports, you know, what that is like, that's a brand and that's going to look and a feel and an energy and a point of view. And like, we're not going to hide that. With that being said, we have parts of our content that are more capital J journalism. So for example, that's our newsletter, that's our website, but you'll see a blend of that on social. And then you'll see us totally depart from that on audio content where we're handing the phone, you know, the microphone to athletes to give their point of view and have a perspective. And so that might not be super clean. Like I, my answer is not, Hey, we're capital J or we're a brand. The reality is we're both. And we're trying to be really, really thoughtful and clear in how we navigate that. Yeah. That's, I appreciate that transparency. Here's the last one I want to ask you. And it never really gets asked about, and I'm, I'm excited to sort of get your answer just because I feel like you're a leader in this space. And I, I've just never seen her like a really great discussion on it. So many of the traditional sports media brands in the U.S., uh, Haley, have leaned into gambling. They're taking massive advertisement from, you know, name your sports uh, gambling company. You know what I mean? It's like you almost can't escape it. I'm based in Toronto, and the, Ontario has just legalized gambling. There literally is not a 10-minute period that goes by where one of the networks do not have uh, gambling. There's so much money to be had, clearly, that all these media companies are taking it. It almost never gets talked about the relationship of women sports fans and gambling. And I, I, I've almost never, ever seen it catered to women. I've never seen the discussion on it. And I just wonder where you're coming from, because like, if you, if you're against it, that's fine by me. That's sort of your own moral choice, but it's not a gender specific thing. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like in theory, if it's legal, Women should be as interested in sort of betting on will the Phoenix Mercury beat the Liberty than some yeah. dude who's interested in like how many touchdowns is this guy going to get and here's the line on this and I want to make a $10 bet. I never hear this discussed, so I wanted to see where you were just coming from on this. I think gambling, I'm so bullish on it. We need to make it happen in women's sports. Here's like the honest answer of it. We have really, really, really tried the – betting companies, you know, the ones you're mentioning, they are not bought in on people betting on women's sports. The only interest we've gotten is us driving engagement on women betting, but it's still betting on men's sports properties, which we've had to explain multiple times. We do not cover the NFL or the NBA. So like, this is not, you know, the right partnership, but 
we are, I can tell you, we are doing a lot of the work to try and say, hey, you want to target women. The way to do it is women's sports. And I've seen this happen with other brands. I really, really think they'll get there. I can tell you, we are really pushing on it. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's just, I think, frankly, I think it's another example of just ways that, you know, the infrastructure holds back women's sports, because I think that could unlock a lot of dollars and go really far and also drive the audience. If people want to bet and it's fun to bet and get engaged, why not bet on, you know, the WNBA, NWSL? A hundred percent. Like, it just feels like a massive market inefficiency. I, I mean, maybe I should write a story on this, but like, I would love to know in England where the gambling market is so much more mature, like, does that market exist? And is it, um, are people sort of, are, are people betting on women's sports there? But again, if you're against it, I understand that. But like the reality is 30 something states or whatever have legalized it. It's legalized around the world. And to me, it just feels like an entire, <laughs> entire group of sports that's just not even like no one's even talking about. Like, I, I don't know. I, I think eventually it's going to happen, but maybe I'm naive on that. But man, does that feel like oper- if, if, if this big is going to exist, it just feels like a big opportunity. Well, and I'll is tell there, you too. I was going to say, I'll tell you too, we've had a lot of, I've had a lot of guy friends just tell me very casually that they got into the WNBA or college basketball because they started betting on it. And then because they bet, they watched the games because they watched the games. They went, Oh shit, these women can play. And now they're, you know, like big South Carolina fans or, you know, Mercury fans, like whatever it is. And I'm like, this is low hanging audience development. Like let's push on this. The only place that the only time I've ever really seen it is women, the women's championship game where that like, you know, like people seem to be interested if like, you know, South Carolina is favored by five or four, whatever it was like, like I, I saw people at least on Twitter talking about like, I'm going to bet on this, or this is an interesting bet to me. It was the only one, and maybe, and again, I'm not the biggest gambler, but maybe this was because, like, there were places in Las Vegas or other places where, like, they were taking that bet. But again, that's, I appreciate you talking about that because I've never heard anyone really get into that in any um, depth. Is there anything else you wanted to add uh, about um, your brand before, uh, before I let you go? No, this was awesome. Thank you for having me on. Listen, Haley, again, um, I remember uh, when I saw that scoreboard and I was like, it's just like, again, when you do what I do, like if someone's doing something that you haven't seen, you're just like, holy shit, like that's interesting. Like I've never seen that before. And that's what I remember seeing your women's scoreboard. Obviously, I covered women's basketball for a long, long time at SI, so I would be more apt to be interested in that content. But again, mm-hmm. I think you guys are doing really interesting stuff and um and I wish you the best of luck. I, I don't really know the investment world that well, but uh, <laughs> but I hope there are, if any, and there probably are some wealthy people who are listening to this. Uh, I feel like this is a growth opportunity for somebody. Um, I appreciate Haley, that. Thank you again. You got it. all right. Let's let's get let's do a let's do a clean out here. Haley, <laughs> Haley Rosen is the founder and CEO of Just Women Sports. Check out um, uh, you can check them out in multiple. Uh, places for their Instagram account, their podcast stuff, but um, go on their website and check that out. It's a women's sports focused media platform. Again, um, they don't cover men's sports. They just cover women's sports and they've made a pretty impressive growth uh, over the last uh, year plus. Haley, thanks so much. Best of luck. And uh, thanks for joining me on the sports media podcast. Thank you for having me. All right. Excited to bring in these two gentlemen um, who are regulars on this podcast. Austin Karp is the Sports Business Journal Managing Editor slash Digital. Chad Finn, Boston Globe Media Writer and General Columnist. Chad and Austin, welcome back to the Sports Media Podcast. 
Thanks, Rich. Good to be here. I appreciate you guys taking time from your uh, watching LIV golf to, uh, <laughs> to to hang out with me. All right, let's start with some NBA Finals viewership. And we're taping this on Thursday. So the Game 3 viewership will come out in a couple of hours. Um, you'll know that by the time you listen to this. Viewership for Game 2, 11.91 million viewers average on ABC. Least watch Game 2 in the traditional early June window since 2007. That 2007 series is Spurs-Cavaliers. That's sort of the low for the modern era of NBA Finals. Game 1, 11.9 million. Again, very, very similar. Least watch opener in NBA Finals in the early June calendar slot. If you want to look to the positives for the NBA, way up over um, Lakers Heat for the, the, the COVID bubble series and way up over Buck Suns in last year. So, Austin, let me open it up very, very generally uh, since you, you marinate in this stuff more than just about anybody I know. How have you viewed the first two uh, games of the NBA Finals viewership-wise? Well, I, I think you kind of nailed it. It's how how do you want to look at this? I mean, a lot of people were quick to hit on the NBA when it was getting terrible numbers in the bubble compared to previous years. You know, certain politically slanted sites would really take cracks at the NBA. And last year, you still had a late season. The NBA finals weren't until July. So again, you were not in that that same spot on the calendar that people are used to watching the NBA finals. So look at it in that context. This year, yes well up from those previous two COVID-impacted years. So if you're the NBA, yes, it's a win. You're coming back, you're bouncing back. And a lot of properties, you know, that I've written about over the course of the last 12 months, we've always done, you know, yes, they've done a year-over-year increase. You've seen on a lot of big properties. But where are you compared to 2019, 2018, before COVID began? And if you're the NBA finals, I mean, coming before the pandemic, people were beginning to kind of worry, like, all right, the Warriors are kind of winding down. Those numbers against the Raptors were not very good. You also didn't have the Toronto market to help out there. So, you know, there was, it was kind of worrisome, like, where's the NBA going to go now? So here we are, we're post-pandemic, at least in terms of scheduling. And the Warriors, an incredibly strong brand. You have all the players healthy. You have a Boston team that is a traditional draw for TV. And it's really not getting that strong a number. So is it because of the NBA or is it because of maybe more likely the TV landscape is just not what it was three years ago and even further back. If you look at where, what the numbers are though, for these games though, yeah, 11.9 million viewers in terms of the TV landscape, still incredibly strong. Yeah. So I like, I think Chad, I'll go to you in a second, but I, I think Austin presents, this is like the real this is a real example of how you want to look at the viewership numbers. And you could sort of offer your analysis, you know, if you want to use a more pejorative word, your narrative in different directions. Like these numbers are down what compared to what I thought they would be. In my analysis, I thought the series was looking at 15 million, 16 million viewers. It still may get there, by the way, if it goes deep. So we'd have a different conversation in two weeks. But the first two games of the series, I would have I would have expected these to be beyond what the numbers were. At the same time, Austin is totally correct. Comparing it to the last two years, which a lot of people sort of highlighted, it's blowing those two things out. And the reality is, because I just happened to look up these numbers, I think it might have been from Austin's reporting. Um, 
pay TV subscribers is down 15% from June of 2019. So 94 million households are subs versus 80 million subs. So that's just going to make a difference. The level of viewers watching primetime, down 26% today from 2019. So these are real numbers. At the same time, I don't want to spin for the NBA. Like they're, in my opinion, I would I would call them at the moment mildly disappointing. Not major, but mildly disappointing. How do you see it? I don't know what you guys are talking about. Numbers are huge here in Boston. I mean, what, 19-6 for game two? Don't be parochial, Chad. This is a national (laughs) podcast. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I think that uh, there's really something to the, uh, uh, you know, subs being down and more options uh, just television-wise. Also, you know, this really hasn't changed at all from three years ago or last year or any time frame you want to put on it. But I think it, it... just in the response I'm hearing from people, I guess probably mostly in the Boston market, but you know, on Twitter, the nine o'clock start times are really bothering people. Um, it just, it, it. That's I, not a change, though. Right? I know it we isn't. Know, we know but that. I, the 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 noise around it just feels greater to me. Uh, you know, maybe that's just circumstantial because Boston's in it, and I'm hearing about it more from people around here, but. Um, it feels like, uh, geez, I wish these games are starting at eight. I, you know, I, I can't stay up this late to watch that. And I feel like that's a small part of it. Uh, but I, I think it's just the fact that, um, you know, subs are down. There's so many other options and, um, you know, generally it's, uh, you know, it's a pretty good number if you look at it in context of, uh, of, of, uh, you know, who's watching, uh, pay television right now, cable television right now. So Chad, I want to stick with you. And also, you're w- w- more than willing to walk to walk in on this. Uh, like, I love the Celtics. I-, I think they are a phenomenally interesting basketball team. I, I have seen so much of them in Toronto. Up this there. this version Whenever- of them right now. This version, yeah. yeah, yeah. Whenever the Raptors play them, I just they play hard. They play. They. I just think they're fantastic. Like they never quit. They're like if I owned a basketball team, I like I would love this team. Now, after I just sort of like buttered them up, here's where I'm going to knock them down a little bit on a viewership play. As great as they are, and as great as the market Boston is for television, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, like they're, they're this is not Kevin Durant, Kyrie, LeBron, and I do wonder in thinking about like the comparison to 2019, like there's not a Durant here, obviously Steph's here, uh, there's not a Kawhi here, so I wonder if, and I maybe I'm blaming myself here. As cool as Boston is, is it possible that maybe nationally, because they don't have, because Jason Tatum is not as like famous as some of the other great players in the NBA, that the they're not as attractive as obviously like if a LeBron comes into the final or a Giannis, or am I way off here? But that that is one thing I was thinking about, just in terms of like attracting the viewer from Nebraska or Iowa. Yeah, as a casual NBA fan. I don't think he's that far off from what the perception of Kawhi was in 2019. I mean, he had had success with the great success with the uh, Spurs and a Finals MVP, but uh, he was kind of a you know he's still a, a quiet guy, not a lot known about him, and really hadn't. Uh, you know, didn't have that highest uh, uh, rating as a, a public figure. Uh, you look at Tatum; he's he's really ascending. Uh, 
he's you know he's got like subway advertisements now he's picking up all kinds of national brands and if you watch any of the debate shows a very popular topic over the last month or so is the celtics have gone through milwaukee and you know nets milwaukee and then uh, miami is a jason tatum a top five player is he a top 10 player so um his uh you know his his image is growing and growing and growing and I don't think the gap is that far from from uh, you know how the per- public perceived Kawhi in 2019. I I, I don't know if that's it. Um, maybe you know maybe they're just used to uh, you know LeBron or Durant being in there, but I don't think it's that that different from 19 really. Austin, um, we're gonna we're gonna get game three tonight, so somebody's gonna be up two one. If it's a Celtics or uh, I'm sorry. So what are we? What is the series at? Yeah, two one. I'm sorry, I'm yeah. Also, I'm lost yeah, four tomorrow. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the Celtics are up two one. If the Celtics win, it's three one, and then it goes back to Golden State. Game five sh- would be an elimination game, so that should draw some pretty good viewership. Um, my sense is that if you're in the NBA right now, you really obviously are rooting for length because you're mm-hmm. probably if yeah. you're going to be secretly if you're going to be honest about it, you're probably a little disappointed in what the early numbers are. But if this thing can get to six, and certainly if it gets to seven, then even if, like, let's say, you might have this in front of you, Austin, like the last game seven for an NBA championship, non-pandemic, like what that was, even if the game seven number here is lower than that, and I would expect it to be, it will be in the 20s most likely, and it will raise the entire series. So the number of these series at the end will be a good story for the NBA. But if this game three number is not great in our parlance. I think that's what the NBA has to hope for at this point is that this thing maybe goes seven, you get the big number for game seven, mm-hmm. and then you can present like, okay, we averaged 16, 17 million. Even though if you looked under the hood, you weren't going to average that until you got the game seven. Yeah. I mean, I think every league wants a six or seven. And NBA in this case, you know, you, you can really sell those numbers. I mean, yeah, the last time I think NBA finals went game seven was that warriors Cavs showdown. You're talking like 31 million viewers for that game seven. <laughs> what what year was that? Uh, 2016. Um, wow. That's not Jesus. happening. Even those game no, five and six were getting over 20 million viewers. That's also going to be a tough sell these days. I agree. You I don't agree. have LeBron. LeBron was the, the needle mover there. And Chad, you kind of alluded to it. Like, A, there's I think there is a lot of anecdotal evidence toward for those nine o'clock starts kind of hindering things like, oh my gosh, like this, this is it's pretty late. Um, especially if you're, you know, on, on the East coast like that. But I mean, while Jalen Brown and, and Tatum, like, yeah, if you're an NBA executive, you absolutely want those guys in your squad. But if you're the NBA, they don't have the Q score that that's LeBron, kind of my thought. They don't have the, that LeBron and even like the <laughs> curiosity component that a Kyrie Irving would bring to, to some viewers. Um, so yeah, I think going into the season, you really wanted a Lakers Nets showdown in terms of, you know, getting maximum eyeballs. This is still Oops. pretty good. And the fact it that is. it's not getting those numbers, <laughs> for that game one in particular, to get to 11.9, that was with an ESPN2 simulcast of around a half million viewers. So you had to tack that on as well. It's it's interesting. Plus out, plus out, of, ho- plus out of home, right? Plus out of home, which wasn't there three years ago. But, you know, what also wasn't there three years ago? The menu of options I have on Apple TV and Peacock and Amazon and, I have so many more entertainment options that I don't have to be like, oh, I've seen all these shows and let's flip on and see what game's available. There's just the tonnage of entertainment options now is incredible. 
That's correct. Last night, NBA Finals competing against Obi Wan on Disney Plus. There you go. Uh, although ESP- ESPN wins that as well, given it's all part of the same corporate family. Chad, you're covering these <laughs> games, so I'm interested in. Um, I'm just interested in uh, your sense of the media contingent. You feel sort of like are they back to pre-pandemic levels? Uh, and what? Because obviously neither Austin and I are there. What's the access been like? Are, do you feel, as someone who's covered the Celtics, you know, years past, like are 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 reporters getting similar access as they got pre-pandemic, or have things changed? I'd, I'd be curious if, for your insights on that. Well, I've always found the NBA locker room is the uh, least useful of any of the sports I've covered, and this is the first time I've covered uh, NBA Finals because I wasn't on board with it in 2010, the last time the Celtics were in it. But uh, you know, we've had. Um, Patriots, obviously, Red Sox have uh, won a few here, and the Bruins won in, in uh, thir- uh, 11, so, and we're in it two other times, so you really get a sense for how each league uh, handles these uh, most enormous events, and uh, the NBA always felt like it had the least access. The, uh, the locker room would just be uh, packed in, people standing around, um, it's interesting that they the NBA was at the forefront of letting independent reporters, bloggers, people like that in. But I think what uh, what that resulted in was um, some people that weren't really trained journalists that just kind of stood around and um, you know got their answers off questions that were asked by the more established guys. That's changed a lot over the last couple of years. Uh, but going back now you don't really have that locker room access right now. You, you got to get your people at the podium. And um, I found that frustrating because everybody has the same thing. You know, you get the uh, Derek white has a great game. Everybody has the same Derek white quotes. You, know, you can grab certain guys in the hallway. Um, you know, Al Hor- Horford's always been really good about that. If uh, Chris Mannix or somebody wants to pull him aside, he'll give them five minutes, but other guys uh, you get them at the podium and they're ghosts afterwards. And uh, so from that sense, it's frustrating, but in terms of um, just uh, what it's like covering a big sporting event, it really feels um, like, uh, like uh, it did pre pandemic other than, you know, people wearing masks mostly. I covered the 2019 NBA finals for the uh, Raptors versus um Warriors, and it was interesting. I had not covered an NBA Finals before. I had obviously covered many, many NCAA Finals and Olympics and uh, the tennis championships, World Series. I'd, I'd covered a lot of stuff. And, um, Did you do it was Super Bowls? To sort- I've done two Super yeah. Bowls. It was just interesting to sort of see how the NBA does it in terms of uh, in terms of access. You know, again, that's a different world. I, I actually found the access to be – pretty good outside of there were just so many people covering that in 2019 particularly like the off day media sessions that you just you couldn't even get to like players certainly star players you know what i mean they'd they'd, they'd be sitting at like a sitting at some kind of section on the floor and there'd just be 50 reporters maybe for like a steph curry or Kawhi leonard cameras around it just was it was sort of a a useless proposition. I will say, Austin. I don't know if you, if you're a nerd like me. I watched the post game press Richard, conferences. I love that stuff, <laughs> and uh, it's pretty fascinating. Like on this one, where like I, I Draymond, I, I kind of like love Draymond Green in this these playoffs because you know he's really sort of pitching pitching the notion of this is new media 
athletes like myself, you know, JJ Redick and Patrick Beverly, et cetera. Like, and it's kind of cool. Like it's, it's, it's been interesting to watch Draymond, whether it's performative or not, kind of challenge some questions that he thinks are really not great questions. And maybe sometimes they're not, but I don't know if I'd call it combative, but I would call it performative. Yeah. And that's pretty interesting. I like Durant too. I love when Durant snaps back, um, whether on social media and elsewhere, I just think it's pretty interesting. Yeah. And so, um, so I've been watching the post game, and um, and that's been that's been entertaining to watch. I think these are two very good coaches too, who answer all the questions. We're not getting a Popovich, uh, you know, curmudgeon or Belichick here. So it's I don't know if you've watched it, Austin, but it's been interesting to me to watch a little bit. Yeah, I see the highlights. You know, more importantly, I'm just jealous of the two of you, Toronto and Boston. I'm here sitting here in Charlotte. We don't we don't do playoff basketball, so I don't get to see any of this stuff. <laughs> you got Independence High School though. It's we like do going to high school yeah. football power, right? It is. Yeah, I once in my my early Sports Illustrated days went down there to uh, profile a uh, high school uh, uh, prodigy named Chris Leak. Oh wow, <laughs> digging way back, yeah, yeah, going the way back machine, Florida. Yeah, he was number one quarterback in uh, in the country. I actually remember watching that guy play uh, playing a game, and I was like, holy shit, I've never seen anybody this good in high school from New York. It was unbelievable. Did he play in the uh, NFL? Did he stick at all? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't. I think if I remember, his career didn't probably go as well as he would have hoped. In uh, Tebow showed uh, up, Florida. Yeah, he may have played. That's right. He may have played though in a spring football league. Maybe. Hmm. I don't, Austin can do the math. I, on that. Yeah, I don't. Know. Was, yeah. I don't, I don't was think, the XFL uh, around then? I don't think the NFL was in the cards. Mind. I don't think the height was there. Yeah. All right, so I'm probably going to have you guys back later on, and we'll dissect this because if we're if again if you know we're having this conversation a week from now, and the final number is twelve point five, or like there's no spin in here, like that's not going to be a good number. Again, I've intentionally not sort of I'm not going to sort of have a thirty minute discussion on the culture wars of this because I just I think it's nonsense. Again, for the last time, undoubtedly there are some people who have opted not to watch the NBA or other sports because of politics or because they didn't like what they saw. So like, you know, they didn't like social justice messaging on the court or they didn't like, you know, what players were saying, but just please just think about it. Logically. We're not talking millions of people where (laughs) if you are an NBA fan, the likelihood is you're not going to never watch the sport again because something happened. You were presumably most likely not watching the NBA sort of, you know, in a diehard setting. So, yeah, like, there's always reasons why people either walk away or come back. But the NBA is not at, like, Michael Jordan levels because of today because of social justice messaging. In the same exact way, like, 33 million people are not watching the Major League Baseball All-Star game again. Like, Pete Rose is not sliding into Ray Fossey ever again. Like, these are just – we're living in different times – pay TV subs are down. The only thing that is just essentially immune to all this shit is the NFL, which is just, which is maybe the only thing left in American life that a majority of Americans can agree on. So that's why, in my opinion, you have those numbers there. Austin, anything else I need to give in this speech? Uh, Or do you and Chad want to add? I mean, for that game three number, I'd love to see some progress there on the audience. If that can tap between 12 and 13 million viewers, you know, I'd see that as a win. I would. Did too. you guys? Yeah, project I don't know if they're gonna get it. What but you I thought the, the overall, uh, you know, uh, viewership was going to be for the the. Yeah, uh, heading in, I did. I did. I, yeah. I thought coming in, I, I was thinking 15, 16, 17 million viewers for the same. series. Yeah, same. With I me, went eighteen, Jeff. and I actually, I thought, I not, yeah, I not, wow, yeah. you're 
probably not going to be right no, on the book unless uh, you get a game seven. Yeah, and I'll admit, I'll be the first to admit that uh, um, if it goes under, that you know, my sense of this was um, was off. Uh, you know, and again, like it, it in many ways, it's. Uh, I don't want to say I feel for the NBA PR people, but like they they do have a they have a tricky job here, and they are aggressive as hell when it comes to viewership. Quite frankly, more than maybe any other. Well, they're up. Networks. Networks. You know, they, for what it's worth, up yeah. is up, and they'll they, yeah. No I mean, they, what, I'm they saying like they're message. gonna they're gonna get banged around yeah. for sort of more than any of the sport for culture war reasons. Uh, let's just be honest, and we can you know go into more reasons for that. At the same time, you know, they got to answer for some of the low viewership. I, I've now repeated myself to death. Their relationship with China is absolute shit, and they deserve mm-hmm. to be criticized on that. But that said, like, you're not wrong, Austin. Like, up's up. Yeah. Like, at a certain point, like, you know, like, we're living in the sports universe where if you really want to do scrutiny on all these other sports, you, you, can, you can find sports that are down. Like, you know, Kentucky Derby was down this year. Like, you want to write, like, a... Like a like a treatise on horse racing is dead. No, there's like there's real television factors as to why something is is up or down. They'll take the win and because next year when you get something like Grizzlies Bucks, then we'll yeah we're not gonna have <laughs> really? that's a different conversation. Well, the real conversation is you know the NBA in a sort of a post LeBron era and who who are the there'll always be stars, but will there be a transcendent star that you can build this thing around? And that's. That's going to be an interesting question. I did love last year's draft class. Um, you know, I like I think some of those guys, Kate Cunningham, Jalen Green, Scotty Barnes, et cetera, have a lot of star power. But uh, yeah, it's good. It, like, again, if you got Adam Silver in the truth serum, like, would he love Giannis to be in New York or LA? I'm, I think you know the answer to that, right? Milwaukee. Is that what you're saying? He can do it in Milwaukee, and he's an incredible player, but the reality is you would, I think, much rather have him in a bigger media market. By the way, anybody listening from Milwaukee, don't get me wrong. I still love you. Please give this podcast five stars. All right. Let's move on to – we'll keep doing the viewership uh, here. Uh, awesome. I'm going to go with you. This is right from, from, from Sports Business Journal. TNT finishes its first season of NHL media rights this week. They um, – for the NHL playoffs, they average 1.05 million viewers over 39 telecasts. They averaged 1.79 million viewers for the Avs sweep over the Oilers. That's way up from last year's COVID um, playoffs. And keep in mind, this is the Oilers in the Western Conference Finals, so you don't get any benefit from a home market. So you get 1.79 million viewers there. If you're TNT, I think these are good numbers. Again, by the way, it gets back to the NBA. I mean, <laughs> the NBA is doing, you know, 10 plus million more than the NHL. So, like, you know, it's all relative when we have these discussions. But I think if you're Turner, Austin, from production, which I thought was excellent, mm-hmm. to viewership, I think you got to be fairly satisfied with year one. No, no I think you're satisfied with year one. I think it, it was a really strong start for them. Uh, yeah, a little, you know, not on a T. But, you know, comparing to last year when you had COVID and uh, you know, kind of impacting the schedule still a little bit and you had a shuffling around of games because you had Olympic trials moving stuff off of NBCSN to USA. And it was like, all right, where is tonight's hockey game? And is during the conference finals. So having a little bit more stability, everything was on TNT and it sets you up next year when you get the M- NHL final, for the, the Stanley Cup final for the first time. Yeah, I, I'm going to consider it a win for, for Turner Sports in year one. 
Again, Chad, I'll go to you. You can certainly follow up on this. Uh, let me just give you Austin's numbers for hockey on ESPN. They, um, as of this writing, they're averaging 2.24 million viewers for Lightning Rangers. That's up uh, 61% through the first four games of the Lightning's, uh, Lightning Islanders last year. Uh, benefit of the New York market there, which is nice. So you get, uh, you're getting them. Uh, Lightning are obviously a great team with a lot of stars, but Tampa's always been sort of a tricky hockey market to get a lot of viewership on. I would, again, just my take on this, I think if you're ESPN, you generally speaking got to be happy with these numbers. We'll ultimately see what the cup does, um, and I think that'll be a really interesting test to sort of compare NBC and NBC Sports Network to the ESPN um, ABC numbers, and they may even be down, like compared to last year. But I think, generally speaking, I think ESPN has to be hockey has to be happy with these numbers in a crowded marketplace. How do you see yeah, it? I think so too. Absolutely. Um, you know, going back to the uh, the kind of Turner thing though, that you were talking about before, I think the one issue with them is they didn't find the chemistry with the studio team that they thought they were going to have. You know. The measuring stick is uh, impossible if you, if you want to talk about what they've had with inside the NBA forever. And, you know, Shaq, Barkley, Kenny, Ernie, um, that bar is never going to be matched by hockey, most likely, or any other sport. But um, I think people are really hopeful that uh, there would be chemistry there with, with um, you know, Gretzky and, and Tockett, who's a longtime friend and teammate, and the group that they have in there. And, uh, I, wouldn't, I didn't really think it was working very well, and I asked our NHL writer about it, uh, Kevin Paul DuPont, who's been Hockey Hall of Famer covering the league forever, and he can't stand it. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I, I think my instincts, I guess, were probably correct there. So I don't know if there's um, if they're totally happy with that aspect of their broadcast, but I think they have to be pretty happy with the numbers. And as far as ESPN is concerned, all I've heard all year is how happy people are that ESPN has the NHL back because they pay attention to it again. You can find it on their website again. Uh, they talk about uh, the, the the big games and the big moments on their daytime programming. Not as much as they do the NBA and other stuff, but much more than they used to. And uh, I think overwhelmingly, just based on the anecdotal evidence I have uh, from hearing from viewers, um, it's been a really successful season for them getting the league back. So, uh, also, I'll go to you, but I'll push back on chat a little bit. I actually like the Turner Studio. I disagree with you and Kevin, Paul Dupont. You know, no disrespect to the Hall of Famer there. <laughs> Take um, it up with him. I think, like, I, yeah, I, I think that group's been pretty good. When I've seen McHugh, it, it's, by the way, just so people know, it's Wayne Gretzky, Rick Tockett, uh, Paul Bissonnette, Anson, Anson Carter, Carter yeah. Liam McHugh is the host. Um, I, I've actually, I've enjoyed that group. Gretzky's not there all the time. But when he's been there outside of that first show, I think he's fit in really well. He's sort of willing – he's self-deprecating. He's willing to be made fun of, given that he's Wayne Gretzky. I've actually enjoyed the interplay between Taka Carter and Bissonette. They're not inside the NBA, but, um, I, you know, I, I, they feel a little looser to me than the ESPN um, studio stuff. But, you know, this is very much uh, like a subjective kind of take. You know, it's really – you know, it's you, you, it, for like a non NBA studio show. You like, you may like one person, you may not like one person, and that mm -hmm. sort of determines whether you like the show or not. Austin, did have you watched a lot of 
the pregame or postgame shows on this? Do you no, have not a, not a whole lot this? of it? But, you know, I'll, I'll say it's what I say about every sports pregame or studio show. Like my studio show is Twitter, like whether it's football, basketball or, or hockey. So take that for what it's worth. And uh, speaking of studio shows, uh, congratulations to uh, Jonathan Jones, uh, my old Sports Illustrated colleague who is taking over the Jason Lockhanfora role mm-hmm. on CBS. So you'll see him on the NFL today. He had been he had you had previously seen him on uh, CBS's uh, you know pre pregame show, the 11 a.m. Mm-hmm. one, but uh, but a major um, a major promotion, I guess you would call yeah. it for. Uh, for Jonathan Jones, so good for him uh, to be in that uh, uh, position. Um, all right, I think I want to do at least one more viewership thing with you guys, and then we'll end on LIV Golf. Uh, Austin, you try your welcome to jump in, but I'll give it to Austin. Austin, I was really itch- it was really interesting to me to see that the French Open final mm-hmm. for Rafa Nadal uh, versus Casper uh, Ruud was the lowest in many, many years for a men's final. But the women's final with Iga Schweitzik, I'm probably mispronouncing that, Coco Goff, best women's championship final Roland Garros since 2018. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're just sort of going to do the, uh, you know, the the eye test analysis, is it basically just a question of one of those finals had an American in it? One of those finals didn't, even with Rafa? On the, yeah, that that's absolutely it. Um, you're talking back to... You had Coco Goff this year. You had Sloane Stevens back in 2018. So, yeah, that, that's it on the women's side. The men's side, yeah, that's kind of surprising, especially compared to two years ago. The French Open got moved I to agree. football season. It was held in October during, uh, during COVID. And this year was still below that by around a million views, by around, a, you know, uh, by, by enough. It, was, it wasn't that close. And I was surprised to see that considering Nadal can, is setting a record Yes, it was against somebody that the casual sports fan has never heard of before. <laughs> That's but uh, yeah, it was it was kind of disappointing to see, given that you're not going to have that much more of Roth and the doll. So that's what that was my thought. Yeah, one point four nine million viewers. Uh, just uh, if we did mention it, and that was my thought. I was just like, you may not get Rafa again yeah. at the French Open. So I figured. You know, I'm not saying that this thing's going to get five. You know, this is not going to be Federer and Nadal. You get like three or four million viewers. But like, I was really surprised at just how low it was for the exact reason you said that it may be the last time you see Rafa holding that trophy. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that's going to continue to drive those sorts of numbers, you know, especially when you're talking about those morning telecasts for the majors, is you got to get some American blood in there. We haven't seen it there. I mean, especially at the French Open, there hasn't been an American since I, I can't even remember. It's been at least 15 years. So, I mean, Serena Williams also is not coming through that door on the women's side. So can a Sloane Stevens, can Coco Goff, can they continue to get back on a regular basis like Serena, like Venus did for so long? Yeah, I, yeah, I covered tennis. By the way, Chad, did you, anything you wanted to add on Casper uh, Root? I know that you're a big fan of his. I do not have anything to add on him. No, I don't. <laughs> All right. All right. The So the um, – you know, I, I think people who listen to this podcast know that uh, when I was at SI, I covered women's tennis for uh, – I covered tennis, I should say, for a long, long time. Not the way my buddy John Wertheim and Scott Price did, but I was at every U.S. Open, uh, occasionally would travel. I had a couple boondoggles to Indian Wells nice. and some and some other places. And so, you know, Austin, like one of the things that has just been a truism for that sport is Serena Williams basically carried ESPN yeah. for, for dec- dec- decade plus and NBC too when they had their majors. So – 
the question now is like, you know, Naomi Osaka is um, still, I think, finding her way back with mental health issues. She's obviously a big star. But that sport, I think, is desperately going to need an American to emerge as a top five player because as great as like Ike Schweitek mm-hmm. is and as great as, um, you know, Emma Raducanu or Bianca Andrescu or, you know, Sabalenka or any of these really phenomenal women who can win a title at any time, that they, the numbers bear out that like they don't have the appeal, no. I think, as, as a top American would. It's not – at least lately, it's a little different. Like the, the there's the crossover, of like from back in the day when, like I think a lot of people would tune in to Steffi Graf or or Monica Seles. Um, like I, I don't know what it is, but I the I think women's tennis really needs a, a an American draw. In the same way, once Djokovic, Nadal, Federer are done, I think the same exact thing for the men. So I think the hope for that sport is they really need a they need someone who's a threat at every Grand Slam who's an who's an American. Yeah, can like we see it on the men's side. You know it's possible. You know that you're going to see Rafa, you're going to see Novak, or you're going to see Roger in the final there, or Andy Murray at some points. Like you saw that when you had right. Serena, and the last time Serena won this event was 2015, and you're seeing half of the audience in recent years of what that was on the women's side because. Yeah, and it should, by the way, sh- shout out to Venus yeah. too, who probably never gets enough credit for this. She was carrying, as you know, as a viewership guy, she was carrying viewership for a long time oh, as well. I mean, it, I'm sure the numbers are doing well in you know Eastern Europe and the Baltics and the Balkans, but you know, not here. <laughs> Guaranteed. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's actually, in a way, it's a little sad just because like uh, Schweitzer's like streak is incredible. It's it's a you know it's a once in a generation kind of winning streak, but. It's just not somebody the American public, I think, at this point, American sports public at this point, is sort of uh, um, embraced. And maybe some of that is, of course, like COVID and pandemic related. Just, you know, nobody, it's only the first year we've gotten big crowds at these mm-hmm. tennis tournaments anyway. Anyway, I know there's not a lot of tennis talk on this podcast, but it is one of my favorite sports. And, uh, you know, if you're an aspiring sports writer or sports broadcaster, it's a great sport to cover. It, it's it basically, it's like, are we, we going to start adding a tennis to minute on this broadcast? On this podcast? Yeah. We should. <laughs> speaking of, uh, all right. Speaking of, uh, you know, sports that are outside, let's finish up with LIV golf. Is that how you um, say it? I've heard it 15 different ways. Live golf. I, I've heard it both how do, ways. I actually don't know. How, how do you I, say it, Austin? Depends say it on the day. Some days it's live guy. golf. Some days it's LIV. Okay. Well, it's a major story, and I think a legitimate major story. This um, Saudi-backed golf tour, uh, actually starting off its first day, uh, literally as we're taping this, um, they've gotten players from the PGA who have resigned their PGA Tour standing um, for obviously massive money. I think everybody knows that what the term sports washing is now, and these golfers have basically um, accepted whatever moral calculation that they want to accept by taking the – money from the Saudis. If, again, you want to say, well, everybody's sort of hypocritical and corrupt in some ways, there's certainly some truth to that. You know, we know that the the NBA ha- ha- and other leagues have dealt with China. There's a lot of sports league. I mean, listen, if you, you know, if look at your phone and, like, check out where it's from. Uh, this feels a little bit different because, in my opinion, at least, because you're directly taking money from the Saudi fund. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's not once removed. It's literally there. But the golfers have made their decision. What I want to get to, Austin, with you is, and this to me is an interesting sports business story, would be, would there be any major U.S. media outlet that would eventually jump here? There's no way ESPN, 
NBC nope. and CBS will. They have their their longtime PGA yeah. Tour partners. That's off yes. the table. So then you get to would a Warner Discovery think about it? Would a Fox think about it? I would say no on Fox because I think Fox has had its run in golf and I think it was it was a disaster for them and I don't know why you'd want to go back. Would an Amazon or an Apple um, do that? Again, the money wouldn't be, you know, the Saudis would probably pay them, but do you want to be associated with that tour PR-wise? Or is there somebody like a DAZN or a, you know, I don't know, you pick your sort of like being, pick your smaller mm-hmm. sort of place. My, I, I want to get you two on this. In my opinion, as of now, nobody this year is going to jump. I think they were going to want to see proof of concept. And I think it will be hard for this golf tour to get anybody in the near term. That said, like, I, I got to be a realist mm-hmm. and a cynic. I think if there's a proof of concept, I think if people see that there's an interest in this tour, I do believe somebody will put them on the air in the next couple of years. Well, that's, look that's at it. You, there was no even proof of concept until like almost this week, until you saw some of those bigger names. Like Phil Nicholson going, yep. that's great. And if, but if it was just him, that's like David Beckham coming over to play for the Galaxy at the end of his career. <laughs> I mean, it's like, all right, there's right. one guy coming over, he's in, but it's kind of like a retirement thing. I mean, MLS has moved forward a little bit, but they had that reputation for a while. But then this week, you see guys that are kind of in the prime of their career. You're Dustin Johnson's, and now you're Bryson DeChambeau's, and a couple other big names that are still like very much in competition to like either win the tour or win majors year in and year out. Now you're like, okay, maybe there's something a little more to this. Now, the discussions, I guess, that Live Golf has had leading up to this, you know, if you're a media company, yeah, why were you going to take a swing at this without knowing that you had commitments from some of those bigger names? You're right. It was never going to be right. NBC, was never going to be ESPN, was never going to be CBS. They all just started nine-year deals with the PGA Tour. They're locked with that. Fox was kind of an epic fail on the golf side. Maybe they can get involved again. But, yeah, I think Turner Discovery, Warner, whatever is – a, a, an interesting dark horse out there and if they can prove if live golf can prove that it's going to continue to get some bigger names and it can continue to show competitive golf yeah yeah they might take a swing at it chad what about you i mean like again like i i, I hope sort of people can sort of separate this like i don't think me austin or chad like you'd have to be a horrific person to support some of the human rights abuses like that's just the reality of it but in trying to explain, like, would a company align them, a media like outlet align themselves with, like, the reality is a lot of these places are just willing to deal with what they think will be short term, you know, bad PR in exchange for a long term agreement. So, also makes a good point in that, like, they have in the last week plus. Like, gotten a lot of legitimate names. I mean, I think the three of us are not big golf watchers or fans, but like, you know, as a casual golf mm-hmm. watcher, like, you know, I know who Sergio Garcia is. I know who Graham McDowell is. Obviously, I know Dustin Johnson is. So that, you know, they have people that, in theory, a television audience, or, you know, maybe you shouldn't think of it as television audience, a, an audience would be interested in watching. I just, I don't know. It just feels like they're not, that's, no one's going to, Given all the rightful bad press, no one's going to jump in 2022. But again, I hate being played, and I hate feeling like a patsy. So, like a lot of times when I make these kind of predictions, like I'm wrong. I'm, Chad, I'm the one who told you that. Oh, I don't think uh, no one's going to go for all uh, for uh, 
Urban Meyer this year. <laughs> they got to wait a year. I, I'm, I like I, you know, I'm like I'm wrong on that. So like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to, I don't want to be naive here, but I still think we're at least a, you know, a season away from anybody jumping on this. But maybe no, I'm I think you're right. I, I, I think they all realize it's uh, uh, it's wise to play wait and see on it in terms of. Uh, you know, completely cynically, it's wise to play wait and see because if they had any morals, they wouldn't be involved at all. But um, to see which other players jump, I mean, they have a lot of big names. The Dustin Johnson was for 150 million bucks was obviously a huge Ooh, get. Yeah, yeah, change. and uh, you know, if you start start really taking uh, the, the the most recognizable ways uh, names away from the PGA Tour, uh, it's going to become more enticing for. Um, you know, someone to say, uh, you know, what the hell? It's blown over a little bit. Let's mm-hmm. uh, let's get this on and and uh, see if we can uh, draw an audience with it. You know, we've got uh, you know eight of the top twenty players or something like that. All of a sudden, uh, but it, it, in general, um, just on the whole un- unseemliness of the whole thing, uh, especially as a journalist and and uh, you know knowing uh, knowing what happened to uh, James uh, Kshagi, um I, I I think the the best comment I've seen on it was uh, uh Roy McElroy saying yesterday that he wouldn't go and that uh he's found in his life to to paraphrase that uh you know anytime you make a decision decision for money it usually doesn't end up going the right way. Um I wa- I wonder if there'll yeah, be others got, that you- that think the same way that he does. I I don't know if there are. Do you um Chad do you by the way I think I'm just just to to cl- to uh, clarify name Jamal ah, Khashoggi. Yes. Uh, the um, the um, do you look at someone like Arlo White differently for for taking their money and being an yes. announcer? So, like to me, I, yeah, I think Arlo is a phenomenal broadcaster. I think he's great on soccer, and but yeah, I do look at him a little bit differently. I, I again, we all have to make our choices, but I'm not sure how you would. And again, like I know there are people out there who are like. Hey, dude, don't be hypocritical. If like Fox Sports came to you and offered you two million dollars to sit next to Skip Bayless, you would do it. I swear in my, I swear in my kid's life, I wouldn't. I like, I'm just telling you this now. I don't want to be, I don't want to be a total asshole here. Like, I'm also in a financial position where like I'm going to be okay. Like, if I didn't take that money, as nice as that money would be. So it's not like I'm 25, you know, living in New York in a in a so is Rory apartment again. Yeah, and like, he's financially uncomfortable. Right? Yeah, right. Like I'm saying, you know, like so, like I, I just want to be honest. Like I am swear on my audience. Like I swear on anybody who I care about's life. Fox could offer me five million dollars, I wouldn't take it. But like Rory McIlroy, although our obviously our finances Austin are different. Like I am in a position of privilege where I can do that. So I don't want to be a, you know, like I, I want to be sort of honest here. At the same time, I don't know how. I don't know how you couldn't look at Arlo a little bit differently. You know, I, even understanding everybody's going to make the most their own prominent uh, uh, golf broadcaster they have involved. It was, it's on Facebook, YouTube, right? And, and uh, like their live stream. It's on, it's on, uh, yeah, YouTube and their live stream. I think it's, I, I yeah, yeah, and Arlo mm-hmm. are the two guys. Yeah. But by the way, by the way, I'm still probably going to watch Arlo if, if I see him doing it. If I, for some reason, happen to be watching a Chicago Fire game because I like his work. I don't know if that makes me a hypocrite. But um, but I think, you know, I think that's a guy who also knows that he's going to live with the fallout, right, in exchange for the for the, for the the opportunity. So you everybody kind of makes those uh, choices. And, again, if you want to do the larger thing, well, you know, hey, you watch Mike Breen and the NBA has a relationship with China. Yeah, I get it, but it's a little different. It's still – 
this is a direct directly being funded i think versus once removed that's at least the difference for me so but, who's yeah you know, who's going to be handing out that trophy at trump Doral, the end of the first season of live golf is it the crown prince is it donald trump i mean who do you want <laughs> you're a broadcaster great question uh, is it or is it greg norman like who's handing out the trophy at the end of season one and do you want that on the I, I, yeah, I don't know. I would assume, I would assume it's Greg Maybe Norman too. and probably the, the Saudi family that backs it would be around there. Uh, but you know, there's going to be, some I really element don't know. I, I, Trump if it's held at Doral, the championship, you know, it he's going to be Mike Pence. Play. Yeah. My, my guess is live golf will be happy with that. I mean, they're, you know, Trump has a lot of golf fans. That's, I mean, that's the reality. I will say this and as we're ending it on this and I appreciate you guys staying long for me today. I did watch like 15 minutes of this golf today and the production was pretty good like it was crisp it was interesting um again i'm not the biggest golf guy but they had what's called a shotgun start where everybody starts at the same time so there was a ton more shots that you saw than the traditional pga tournament and like i think that format was pretty interesting and it was definitely interesting to see like phil mickelson and dustin johnson like competing in a tournament like against um a different kind of field but I, I'd need a more of a go- a seasoned golf person to tell me how good the broadcast was. One and then two, I would love to just talk to golf fans because I I can't say I'm a hardcore one. If they're uncomfortable watching this, or they just are like, "Hey, we love the athletes. We want to watch the athletes." In the same way, if like uh, uh, you know, you're watching the KHL, uh, you know, what I'm saying like, and, and even though you feel like how you feel about Russia as an institution and the government, so. I really don't know. I really, like, this is going to be, this is an interesting story to me for many reasons. And I'm going to be real interested to see just how this thing proceeds forward and what the interest is, like, by, from golf fans, let's say in like a month or two or three from now. But they, the one thing that Austin and Chad, they had, these guys have, they seem to have an endless amount of money. Yep. So I, like, they don't seem to be nope. going anywhere. It's like 600 billion, right? That they can draw from something like that. Yeah. It seems like, it's essentially a bottomless pit of money. And so, you know, I don't know. Maybe maybe, maybe Phil Mickelson or Dustin Johnson say, hey, it's great. We're being treated incredible. And, you know, you can get $300 million. Not, I don't know if everybody's going to be Does the tipping point come here if uh, the Masters get the, gets in line with the PJ and says, you know what, we're not going to allow you guys to play in this particular major? The majors are the... Yeah, the majors are. What do you think, Austin? The majors are the big one for me because obviously I think this thing, the majors seem to matter to these guys who oh, even yeah. went well, to the. Oh yeah. Well, I store. think the USGA kind of set a precedent saying, you know, we're not, well, we're not going to exclude them from the U.S. Open next week, and you know, if Augusta National gets on their moral high horse about something. Yeah, I mean, exactly. <laughs> Come on now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, dude, like, let's let's yeah. roll out the. Let's uh, leave it there. Let's 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 let's. That let's doesn't always the video stop them from your, trying, your, though. Sorted history. No, it does not. I know. God, I talk more about golf on this podcast than literally any podcast I've done in five years. It's incredible. Um, all right, anything else? You guys want to talk you wrestling or Obi Wan up here or, in uh, Brookline next weekend? I know you're a uh, big golf guy. I don't even know. Who's pl- I couldn't even tell you who's <laughs> not playing. Not Dustin Johnson. Is, is Rory McIlroy playing? Not Tiger Woods. Not Dustin Johnson. No, no not Tiger. Not Bryson yeah. DeChambeau, right? Yeah, I I don't know. I'll Scotty take Scotty uh, Scheffler, John Rom. You can tell I've been God, doing. I think uh, I think Lee Trevino is going to win. That'll be fun. I like that is that a good pick? 
I think uh, <laughs> no. Who's I'm trying to think of? Uh, who's like the fame? Ben Hogan's going to win. I'm trying to think of who, who's the guy who won all those grants. Bobby Jones, 1920. Yeah, that shows you my knowledge. Yeah, John. I think it's John. I my if I had to guess, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this and then I'm gonna Google it. I think John Rahm is the number one player in the world right now. How's that for a guess on PGA golf? Let's see here. By the way, I can tell you guys are not golf Shuffler? fans. You would have corrected me. <laughs> Very, oh, yeah. You know what? I think you're right about that. I watched I the Masters. Right Boy, by the way, if anybody is still listening to this horrible podcast, thank you. <laughs> because God, Godspeed, this has not been good. Chad, great job. FedEx standing, Scotty Scheffler. Yeah, what's the Masters? It's the only Sam Burns, I know that. Cameron Sm- yeah, John Rom. <laughs> wow, I was really off, Austin. John no, I had Bobby nine, Jones, too. Sorry. So. Yeah, Bobby Jones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I had, yeah, right. I had Bobby Jones. Um, all right. Austin, I mean, what a podcast. 50, we covered it all. I mean, 43 minutes of forty-three minutes of insightful commentary and seven minutes of nonsense. Um, anyway, thank you for listening to all of you. And uh, and more importantly, let us give a, a, a good goodbye to Chad and Austin. Boston Globe media writer Chad Finn, as well as a general columnist, check out his work he's covering the NBA Finals. I hope for his sake it goes seven. So he'll get uh, a game seven uh, would be really, That's really two trips to cover. San Francisco, though. I, I know. Well, there's nothing I've wrong with that. Though. Great city. Sports Business Journal Managing Editor slash Digital Austin Carp. Follow all his work on that fine publication. And uh, Austin will be among the people you really want to read when it comes to breaking down the NBA viewership numbers. It's uh, I go to him. I go to Anthony Krupe. You know, go to our buddy John Lewis at Sports Media Watch. But these are people who, um, they like they they literally traffic in this data every single day for years and years and years. So if there's anything that you can remember from this idiotic podcast I've just taped, like remember that if you really happen to be interested in sports viewership, like go to the people who like deal with it every day, not the people who sort of just parachute in um, to sort of talk about the numbers. And I would include myself on that. You know, I choose those three guys over me. But then make me four. Making my parents <laughs> proud, Richard. All right. <laughs> there you go. Chad and Austin, as always, thank you. You're not paid for this podcast. Why that is, I don't know. But I, God bless you, too. Thank you for your thank time. Thank you, guys. Thanks, man. All right. Back in the studio, my thanks to Haley Rosen and Chad Finn and Austin Carp. That podcast got a little bit loopy at the end. My apologies. Um, I'm not working on a lot of sleep today. And I think it showed. But uh, but hopefully it didn't suck too bad. Um if you like these kind of discussions, head to the Sports Media with Richard Deitch archives page, and hopefully um, you'll find some uh, interviews that you liked. Recently, we've had Tom Verducci on Roger Angel on the Art of Baseball writing, AEW, All Elite Wrestling President Tony Khan, Leslie Visser uh, on her Hall of Fame career, Larry Kalmus on calling uh, Rich Strike's Amazing Kentucky Derby win, How You Call Horse Racing. Did a couple of non-sports uh media podcast which i i really am proud of um john woodrow cox an enterprise reporter at the washington globe and probably the uh, country's one of the country's foremost experts on the impact of gun violence on children and we went 50 minutes on that topic um and just reporting and covering that topic uh, especially given what happened in um, uvalde texas and then uh did a foreigner covering america edward keenan of the toronto star what is it like for someone who's not born in the united states to cover the United States and that's what he's doing right now for the Toronto Star and does it really really well so a couple non-sports uh, media topics that uh, if you might be interested in in addition to the normal sports media stuff that we did 
I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work, particularly, particularly on this episode. He's had to work hard on this one, and, uh, no doubt. And, um, and thanks to everybody, Cadence 13. And thank you most of all for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.